back to. Psalm 128, Ron read this to us a minute ago. You know, I was thinking that uh, this year, it'll be 50 years since I went away to start ministry, but out of those 40, 40 of those years, I've been a pastor of a church one place or another. And so I was thinking, I, I've preached 40 Mother's Day messages already. Not only that, 40 Father's Day messages. And I want you to know that the places you preach from, you know, begin after a while, you run out of them for that many messages. And so I, I looked at, at 128 and I thought, you know, I've preached from this passage not only Mother's Day or Father's Day at different times, and 127 also. Uh, so we're just going to go back to it again. Uh, and, you know, uh, a lot of times when you've preached from a passage several times over the years, the best commentary you have is yourself. Because <laughs> you, just you remember uh, the study from this uh, passage. And I, I look at it and I remember the, the great things about 127 and uh, 128. Um, but I do want to read you something. Ron read you something, too. I read this this week in a, a bulletin. You know, I get some mailings or emails from... Uh, other pastors and all. And in one of those, I noticed this story. And this was about a mother uh, who uh, needed to find part-time work uh, later uh, in the years. And so she goes to a city clerk to, to register for a job. It says, the city clerk asked a mother what her occupation was. She replied, the mother replied, I'm a research associate in the field of child development and human relations. The clerk paused for a moment and then carefully wrote each word of the title in the space provided. Might I ask, continued the clerk, exhibiting a, a newfound interest and respect, just what do you do in your field? Calmly, the mom answered, I have a continuing program of research in the laboratory parenthesis, inside the house, and in the field, parenthesis, outside the house. I'm working for my masters, meaning the family, and have, alre uh, have already four credits in the program, meaning four kids. It is one of the most demanding jobs in the humanities area, and I often work 14 plus hours a day. And while the job is more challenging than most run-of-the-mill careers, the rewards uh, in my own, are in my own satisfaction rather than in the money. And I thought, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that exactly true of a mom's uh, work and, and what she does? We're all thankful for that. Psalm 128, this, this uh, passage, and, and as we read it a few minutes ago, you might also remember uh, 127 also, uh, are great uh, uh, psalms about the family, about moms, dads, children, and all of it, uh, Spurgeon said, uh, it's a family hymn, a song for a marriage or a birth or for any day in which a happy household has set aside to praise the Lord. And we can do that from, from this uh, psalm. Now, you might notice at the top of the psalm of each of these, it says a song of degrees, uh, you remember that these songs, there are 15 of them. They begin in number 120, and they go through number 134. And so these are songs of degrees. Evidently, as families traveled from where they lived to Jerusalem on the, for the feast days, when they would come to Jerusalem, whether Passover, uh, uh, Pentecost, or whatever, 
uh, they would travel in groups or in families, and they would uh, quote or sing these psalms as they traveled toward Jerusalem, as they got closer and closer. So the thought is that historically they must have, uh, as they got to certain landmarks and got closer and closer to Jerusalem, uh, they would quote these different psalms, and so they were called songs of degrees as they got closer and closer to uh, Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? You can, can't you see Jesus at 12 years old in that story where uh, Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus as a boy are traveling with all of their relatives and they're traveling all the way down to Jerusalem and then they go to the feast days and they travel all the way back. You can hear them quoting these psalms of degrees as they got closer and closer. Uh, do you have memories like that of a child uh, with your mom and dad and things that you used to do uh, that just brought back? Sir, I, one of mine, I think I, I've probably said this before, but uh, down in Springfield and my grandma and grandpa were living and grandma had that old pump organ. And, and I remember as just a boy standing around that organ with all of the aunts and uncles and relatives and grandma would pump that organ and play and they would sing hymns. I remember standing beside my grandfather who sang bass, daddy sang bass, and his, uh, her grandpa did, and, uh, and hearing that voice go up and down on those bass notes, maybe it, was, it, it uh, trained me a little bit early, and I remember that. I, there's a memory I have of when our kids were little, when we lived in Denver, and, and the church we went to and the school where I worked was in the city a little bit, and we lived out in the foothills. And I think still outside of Denver, there's a big cross on the hill that they, they would light up at night. And it's still up there, and you can see it from all over the city. But we would leave and head back home, and we would be going toward that cross uh, because we were heading out toward the foothills. And so I still remember our kids singing in the car as we're headed out there. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. And I remember that, all the little kids singing that uh, as we uh, drove toward the cross in the evenings and, and drove home. I hope you have uh, memories like that too. You know, if I ask you, is it easier or harder to raise kids today than it used to be. You know, I thought about that and had to say yes and no, really. Uh, yes, uh, for some obvious reasons. Uh, society is worse. The culture is harder on our kids than it used to be. I, I think there's no doubt about that. There are more dangers right at their fingertips than there used to be uh, in a kid's life. And you know that that is, life is fast too fast these days. You don't have time to think. You don't have time to fellowship. You don't have time for those standing around singing at the organ type of things or family reunions and that kinds of thing. And, and uh, even Christianity is not central in our country. It's not central in our lives much anymore. And that's too bad. And uh, churches sometimes can get uh, off track away from the gospel and away from the worship of God to various things from entertainment to whatever. Uh, and so uh, in some ways, in some obvious ways, it's harder to raise kids than it used to be. And then, and then in other ways, uh, there are some things that make it easier. Life is more convenient than it used to be. 
Uh, and uh, those conveniences are nice, and for a lot of those, none of us want to turn the clock back and go back to those, those kinds of, excuse me, today. Uh, transportation, communication with your kids. I've, al I've already watched my grandkids in Alaska sing today. <laughs> you know, couldn't have done that years ago. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a, a good thing that way. And Christian material, what you can read, what you can access, what you can uh, show your kids and your family uh, is uh, easier to get today than it used to be. And churches are more comfortable. We're sitting here on a hot day in an air-conditioned room, padded chairs, and, you know, nobody wants it any other way, uh, you know. And uh, so things, in some ways, it is easier to do, and in some ways it's harder to do. But, you know, we're reading a psalm that's 3,000 years old, and we're teaching ourselves from a song that's 3,000 years old. And I guarantee you when, when uh, those families... Uh, walk toward Jerusalem that uh, it wasn't convenient <laughs> uh, to, to get there. Three days journeys just to go to Jerusalem. Now it would take you a half hour drive, you know. So, and yet Psalm 90 says that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And so uh, he's still our dwelling place today also. So I want you to follow, uh, if you will, and uh, in your bulletin you have a, a brief outline. And a, and a couple of thoughts from one, Psalm 128 that uh, will repeat itself. In other words, we'll talk first from these six verses about the people of blessing that are blessed here. And then we'll think again on the second time through of the prerequisite to this blessing. How do you get this blessing? So uh, what, is, what is a home? What is a family? It's people, right? That's what it is. You know, you know I noticed the other day in seeing a real estate sign uh, that uh, it used to be they, they might talk about houses for sale. You never do that anymore. You talk about homes for sale, right? And, and why are they smart enough to talk about homes? Well, a house is a bunch of sticks, you know? But a home means people, right? And so you try to make it softer and say, this, this could be your home. But the truth is, uh, a house is just a house, except, uh, what does 127.1 say? Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. If it isn't a home, if it isn't a place where people love the Lord and people are connected through the Lord Jesus Christ, it is going to just be a house, not a home. And it will, you'll labor in vain. And so notice uh, this, and, and here are four things I have for you there. Number one, the fruit of the womb. And I want you to go back to 127 and just pick it up in verse 3. Children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Well, what's a home without children? <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, all uh, newlyweds want children. And, and uh, uh, children come into the home, and they are called here heritage. They're called a reward, uh, and they're called arrows in verse 4, in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. I mean, these, these uh, are the kids. Now, let me point out a couple things to moms and dads, and we know this. When a child comes into this world, we have brought an eternal soul into life by our own choice and by our action. And that eternal soul will live forever somewhere. 
And so what I'm saying is that your primary source of evangelism is right there in your own home. You bring this eternal soul into the world, and that soul will live somewhere forever, then it's your prim primarily your responsibility to see that soul come to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Of course, that's true. And you brought a life into this world who's made in the image and likeness of God. The image and likeness of God, you have multiplied the righteousness of God. You have multiplied the image of God in this world. What a great thing it is to have these arrows. Notice uh, they're called arrows, you know. You want to make a straight arrow so when you let it go, it'll fly straight. Uh, and I think I remember saying before about Psalm 127, you know, a, a person may spend months making an arrow, carving it and chipping the rock and tying it together and all that, and then you get one time drawing the string back and letting it go, and that arrow's gone. <clears throat> We spend 18 years making this arrow and trying to get it straight and trying to get it to go in the right direction, and then one day they're gone. And where will they go? Will it fly straight? Will it, will it be what it should be? And uh, then I like verse uh, 5, which says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. I look at that every time I see our refrigerator and all the pictures on the refrigerator. You know why a refrigerator costs so much, don't you? It's the most expensive picture frame you have in your house. And, and all of those pictures are on there. And, uh, and I'm happy that there's a bunch of kids and grandkids on there. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. When your kids speak up for God, <clears throat> when your kids have a testimony for the Lord, when your kids love the Lord and walk with Him, uh, you're happy because they are unashamed of their faith and the testimony in Christ. So here's the fruit of the womb that we've already learned from 127. And then in, uh, in 128, uh, I'll come back to the fear of the Lord in a minute. So drop down to verse 3. Uh, because it, here, here's the next person we're talking about, thy wife. And of course, here we're talking about mothers, aren't we? Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of the house, and then thy children, like olive plants round about thy table. A fruitful vine. A vine that, that grew in those days, of course, beside those houses, besides those stone and, and sod houses. And, and notice, though, it's a vine, not a tree. You know, a tree is a very sturdy thing, but a vine in itself is not real sturdy. But a vine carries fruit. Uh, a vine produces something. And this mother, this wife that's in the house, carries fruit. It produces something. You, you know, Psalm... Uh, or Proverbs, I mean, 31 is that proverb about the mother and about the wife. Uh, uh, and often uh, messages are brought from Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31, 14 says, She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She produces like a vine produces. You know, uh, in the merchant ships, of course, if we had to retranslate that today, we might say she uh, is often at Walmart <laughs> and bringing home all kinds of things from garage sales or whatever, you know. Uh, she knows how to provide. She knows how to make uh, things right in the home. And that's what's going on here. I like what old G.K. Chesterton, the English uh, writer, said when he said, women are not kept at home 
to keep them narrow. On the contrary, they are kept at home to keep them broad. <laughs> now, this is a hundred-year-old point of view, of course, but what he's saying is, uh, is there any, anybody better manager than a mother at home? No wonder businesses want to hire mothers because there's no better manager in the world than a mother. She knows how to do it. Uh, Chesterton also said, there must in every machine be a part that moves and a part that stands still. There must be in everything that changes a part that is unchangeable, and that's the mother in the home. She's the unchangeable part when everything else has to move. And so here's a fruitful vine that grows by the sides of the house and produces and makes a blessing to the home. Now, the, by, by the sides of the house, uh, she's not a stump out in the yard. She's by the house. She's part of the team, part of, part of the family. And so this fruitful vine, of course, is the mother, and we're thankful for her, and that's what we're remembering, of course, today on this Mother's Day. Thirdly, there are the olive plants, and we spoke about the children in, in uh, 127. But notice here, uh, in the second part of verse 3, though your wife is as a fruitful vine, the children are like olive plants round about the table. And these olive plants... Uh, uh, you know, our little sprouts that come up out of the ground. You know, many trees, you can't keep the sprouts underneath the trees from coming up. Uh, I think of the aspen tree in Colorado where we lived such a long time. They say that the aspen tree may be the largest living thing in North America because all aspen trees are connected underground. They're just roots that shoot out, and then another sprout comes up, and then more uh, sprouts go out, and then more trees come up. And when you see a mountainside of aspen trees, it's all one tree, really. They're all connected. And, and uh, so you, you look around the table, and here are these olive plants shooting up around the table. I, I like the way Spurgeon put it. He said, uh, a gnarled olive surrounded by sturdy successors. <laughs> a lot of us are pretty gnarled, <laughs> but around us are sturdy successors. These are, these are little ones with all kinds of life and vitality, and they have a future uh, long beyond our future ahead of them. Remember these words of Job. You know, Job in, in, 20, in, in chapter 29, he had lived through a lot by then. He, he had suffered. He, he was uh, under chastisement from God and so forth. And he said in, in, in 29, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, and when my children were round about me. We think often that way when we're older and our kids are gone. Uh, those days when they were round about me, when they were like olive plants shooting up here and there around the table. Notice around the table, communicating, table talk, we used to call it, and I think that's right. Matthew Henry said, straight and green, sucking in the sap of a good education. <laughs> and that's what kids do. I, I hope that you have a memory like that of uh, uh, times at, at home. Maybe it was the dinner table. It was in my house growing up where just there's a lot of conversation that went on. 
And, uh, you know, my mom and dad were both teachers, and it seemed like they never stopped. You know, old teachers don't die. They just parse away, and they do that at the dinner table. And talking and talking and talking, and you, uh, you argue this and you prove that, and I don't know. It's just one of those things. And, and I, ho- I, I hope that it was that way at your house. You need time to talk. You need some time to stop and communicate so that those children take that in and become what you are. And I hope you are what you're supposed to be so that those kids are what they're supposed to be. That's why this psalm talks about blessed is is every man that fears the Lord, because that's what your kids will do too. In Psalm 31 again, or Proverbs 31, I mean, uh, and 25, it says, Strength and honor are her clothing, speaking of the mother. She shall rejoice in the time to come. She opened her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. There's mom directing things around the house. You know, I, I think of my, my mother as, as a teacher. She always had the answers, it seemed like. She always had uh, something to say. As a matter of fact, uh, it, as it was in my house, it might have been yours. Mom was, was really the spiritual spark plug. I mean, Dad was a professor and all, but I, I think of my mom's love for the Lord. And, and even in the public high school, she taught the class called the Bible as Literature in Ohio. It was one of the first pilot classes like that in the public schools. And she taught it for years and years, and it was the largest class in the high school. They loved it. But I think, you know, my mom's influence on me, I don't know if I would be in the ministry if it had not been for my mom. She's the one that kept us in church. She's the one that said, we need to be here. She's the one that said, let's go. Uh, She's the one that always had her Bible in her lap in the evening and so forth. It was just that talk around the table and that talk at other places that that, uh, grew olive plants round about the table. So communication isn't as easy. That's one of those areas, isn't it, these days where it's not as easy. It used to be maybe that the evening dinner table in the home was the big deal of the day. I mean, you know, there wasn't a whole lot else to do. You were doing your chores or whatever. You got to come in and sit down and talk and, and hear other people talk. Maybe there's a visitor in your house. Uh, that, that was a good thing. And today, that's harder to do. I mean, uh, maybe you can share your fast food together in the front seat of your car. I don't know, <laughs> you know. Uh, maybe, you know, you're in and out. You grab this and you go. Maybe you eat, uh, you know, in other places. And, and so it's harder, even though the communication life is faster and there are more options. I thought of the word Facebook, which I'm glad, you know, like I said, I got to see my kids already this morning. But the anomaly about that is, number one, it's not a book. And number two, it's not face-to-face. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, there's something about being there with the expression on a person's face and that love that shines through that we need these days. And so table talk uh, with those olive plants about the table. And then uh, I mentioned, fourthly, children's children or uh, grandchildren and grandparents because verse 6 says, Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children. I, I think of it like that because, you know, if you get to go see your grandkids, you say, Yay, I get to go, get to go see my grandkids. Well, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Let me say a couple things about uh, grandchildren and grandparents. Uh, you know, Psalm or, or, or Proverbs 17.6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. 
There's a reciprocal relationship here between the grandparents and the grandchildren. The grandchildren, little ones at home, have the privilege of protection and wisdom. Do you ever think about little that grandchildren crawling around on your living room floor or little ones that are in your house, how protected and how, what a blessing that is, protected by mom and dad, and now protected by grandma and grandpa with, with wisdom and, and advice coming to them in their little life and protection over what they do. Those little grandkids, secondly, see their heritage. This is their family tree. This is where they're going. This is what came before them, grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, maybe grand, uh, uh, great-grandma and great-grandpa. And so they have time to grow up. And uh, when you see your children's children coming along, that's a wonderful thing in their lives. But to you as grandparents, uh, perhaps, you have, I put it three ways, you have the privilege of wisdom over physical strength, and be thankful for that. The reason why God gives us children when we're young <laughs> is because of physical strength. Uh, though we may not have had much wisdom, <laughs> but when we're older, we have the wisdom, though we don't have much physical strength. But praise God for both. And praise God for, for the privilege of wisdom, even though the physical strength is often gone. Secondly, for the happiness of serenity over a busy schedule. You're retired. You're not as busy as you used to be. Praise God. And use that time to walk with the Lord. Use that time in serenity rather than busyness so that your children's children see that and say, there's a godly woman, there's a godly man, grandma, grandpa. They need to see that. And thirdly, the blessing of godliness over biblical inexperience. The blessing of godliness. You know your scripture. You know God's will. You know your doctrine. You know what you believe. You can give pointed advice. This is a blessing. And though many don't always accept it as such, it's a blessing in your life. And so... Yay, if you see your children's children, and for them also. You know, I've, I've had one frustration growing up, uh, in my generation I, I find has this, and that is I can't reproduce my, my childhood for them. I couldn't reproduce my childhood for my kids, and I surely can't reproduce it for my grandkids. I mean, I grew up as Huckleberry Finn on the Niangua River, tell you the truth. No shoes on, cut off jeans, and a little flat bottom boat catching, catching bass and catfish and crawdads. I mean, that's how I grew up. I, can't re I couldn't redo that for my kids as much as I wanted to, and I can't for my grandkids. But you know what? I don't need to, and I shouldn't. Because that's not the world they're going to live in. <laughs> that's for sure. They need something else rather than that. I, I spent that time with a godly grandfather that I love to this day. And if it hadn't been for his example, I couldn't have gone on and done the things I had to do in life. And so without your example of godliness in the generation you live in, they won't be able to go on in their generation, which will be different than yours, but live godly because they can do that, and that's what they need more than anything else. And so these are the people of blessing. Now, now I have secondly, and, and, and let me 
go through this uh, rather quickly. And, and that is, if we back up and look at Psalm 128 again, uh, the word blessed comes first, and then in verse 5 it comes again. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. In other words, we want to be blessed then. We want all people in the house to be blessed. We want ourselves to be blessed. And so I, I see here a couple parts to this. And notice that I call it the present fear of the Lord and the future fear of the Lord. Because it, it, it starts out, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. Whether grandma, grandpa, children, uh, husband, wife, whatever, how are you blessed? How is the house going to be blessed if you walk in the fear of the Lord? You know, the, the fear walking, I should say, is I think the, the most common expression in the whole Bible about you as a Christian living for God. It's that analogy of walking, and you see it everywhere because everybody does it. We, we all walk. We have to do it somehow, and so walking uh, involves balance, right? Uh, you have to learn to do it. And once you learn, you're up and going. It, it involves direction. You're going in a certain direction. It involves purpose. Everything about walking can, is a good analogy for how to fear the Lord. And I, in, the, in the little book of 2 John, when John, as an older man, he's writing to, to that elect lady, he, he calls her. And he says, this is love. And then he says that we walk after his commandments. And this is his commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Walking in his commandments is walking in the fear of the Lord. This is what God said to do. That's what I have to do. This is what God said how I should live. That's how I have to live. That's called walking after his commandments. Blessed, he says, is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways. You want your kids to be blessed? You want them to find the Lord as Savior? You want them to honor God with their lives? Then you walk in the fear of the Lord. And in these first four verses, you'll see verse 2 says, For, that is, uh, if you do it, for thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands, and happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. You want to be, see blessing upon your life? Walk in the fear of the Lord, for that's what will happen. And not only that, but verse 3 has an implied and to it. And thy wife will be like this. And thy children will be like this. If you walk in the fear of the Lord. Not if you make a lot of money. Not if you're a famous person. Not if, if everything is centered on you, but it's centered on God, and you're walking in the fear of the Lord. And then even verse 4, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed, that feareth the Lord. Shall the mother be blessed? Shall the father be blessed? With this kind of result, if you'll walk in the fear of the Lord. Let me read three psalms to you that David wrote. Psalm 25, 14, The secret of the Lord is is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalm 33, 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. And Psalm 34, 7 to 10, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Fear the Lord if you want these kinds of results. Eight times in these four verses is the word shall. You fear the Lord, this shall happen to you. This shall happen to you. This shall happen to you. You'd be blessed if you fear the Lord. And then lastly, just by thought, I think in the last two verses, there's something very typical from the Psalms, even the Proverbs, and that is that the writer kind of drifts into promises that are promised to Israel that haven't happened yet. But they will happen. 3,000 years ago, God made promises like this to Israel, and they still haven't all come to pass. So when he says, the Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, because one day the Lord will be in Zion. He'll be dwelling there as the king. And thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. We haven't seen that in our lifetime, but one day there will be. Thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Have we ever seen peace upon Israel? But we will. And so that day is coming when the future for Israel is there. And if you read your Psalms with that in mind, that David or whoever is writing the Psalm is often casting that that vision into the future, saying this is what it will be like when Jesus reigns. You will be blessed, Israel. And Israel today should be looking for that, and if they believed in the Lord Jesus, they would be looking for it, because that's when this peace will come. But then I find that that last statement about children's children is in that kind of a context. Isn't that interesting? When there will be peace upon Israel. When you'll see that peace and, and the Lord is reigning in Zion. And I have to think then, I'm glad to see my children's children now, but I only see about that much. Uh, those of you who are great-grandparents uh, see your children's children's children, right? But what about a day in the kingdom of God when we live with him for a thousand years and all the believers for the last 2,000 years are there resurrected in the kingdom of God? You will see your children's children, 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 children all the way back and all the way future. I, I, I can't wait to see my family tree like that to see my ancestors, and then to see my children uh, on into the future uh, after I'm long gone. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children. And I think David must have been thinking like that when he put it in this context of the future of Israel. What a great thing that is. As a matter of fact, read, if, if you read Psalm 126, just a couple psalms back, with that in mind, uh, you will see that same thing that uh, the Lord says at the end, uh, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Bring, bring again Israel to the land like you promised, and one day that will happen. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Then he that goeth forth and weepeth with precious seeds shall doubtless come again, bringing his sheaves with him. That's going to happen one day. So, Psalm 127 and 128 are family psalms. Encouragement to us as mothers and fathers, grandmothers and, and grandfathers. Uh, no wonder he said in 127.1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And if I could say anything to young parents, except the Lord build the house, 
you're doing a lot of labor, spending a lot of time and a lot of money, but it will be vain if the Lord isn't building this house. Put the Lord first. Put the fear of the Lord first. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We've already read in Proverbs. That uh, is priority number one. And so a family is blessed because of its people, and it's blessed because those people walk in the fear of the Lord. May that be our heritage. May that be what we pass on to our kids and grandkids. And mom, my mom, as I think about her with this carnation today, thank you. Long gone now for what she did for me. I want to do that for my, grand, my kids and grandkids, and I hope they'll do it for their kids and grandkids if the Lord tarries, and I know that's what you want to. Stand now with me if you will. Let's stand and bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask his help and understanding and, and blessing upon these things. Now, Father, as we read again these familiar words in these psalms, Oh, Father, we thank you. 3,000 years ago they were written, and yet they're so true yet today. How can we argue with what you say here? We see it in our own families. We see it in our parents and grandparents. We see it in our kids and grandkids. So, Father, I pray you would help us to take heed to the things that you say, these timeless truths. And Father, then I pray as we sing a song and we reflect upon these things and think about them, Father, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts and minds what your will is for us and what we need to be and be doing. I pray, Father, that we would understand what salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is and how important it is, first and foremost, that we are evangelists for these eternal souls. And then, Father, help us to be people who fear the Lord in every way that you set before us. And so speak to our hearts in that special way that we need today, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to come and lead us in our song. Our invitation is open. 